John 8, Romans 8. I'm telling you by discernment, I'm telling you by faith, this is going to change your life this morning. It's not because of me. It's because of the truth that it is. You shall know the truth. Hmm? And you'll yawn and leave church and be about the same. Tell me what the scripture said. You shall know the truth. And that truth will make you free. And this truth will, oh my my. Will it make you free. John 8. Now without reading the whole story. Jesus was teaching as he often did. The scribes and the Pharisees drug in a woman that they said they caught committing adultery. I guess they drug her out of the bed. So maybe she wasn't properly clothed. I don't know. But you know, here's a problem. You can't commit adultery by yourself. This is a setup. You read the whole thing and you see how'd they know where they were going to be. It's probably one of their buddies that just happened to get away. And they come dragging this woman in. Jesus is teaching now. I mean, can you imagine? Can be like, what about today? I, I just got started teaching and somebody come dragging this poor woman in, half clothed or if that much, up to the front and say, we caught this woman committing adultery. Well, that disrupt the service. And they said, Moses said she should be stoned. But what do you say? See, this is a setup. They're trying to get him in opposition to the law so that it can justify them saying he's a false teacher, etc., etc. And Jesus just stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. Now, boy, there's a valuable lesson here. Uh, verse 7 said, they continued asking him. So they asked him and he didn't answer them. And then he stooped down and started writing on the ground. And uh, they just kept on asking him. But uh, obviously he didn't answer them initially. Do not respond to the devil's pressure. You do not have to answer all questions. And don't be pressured. You know, so many times the enemy will come in and say, well, are you going to do this? Or are you going to do that? I mean, the law says stoner. What do you say? Stoner or not? And see, they think they got him either way he goes. If he says, well, the law says stoner, stoner, then the people are going to say, well, he's just like those hard-hearted Pharisees. Or if he says, no, don't stoner, they're going to say, well, see there, he's against the word. They think they got him. And that's where the enemy always wants to get you. Well, you're going to choose A or you're going to choose B. But if you look to the Holy Ghost, he'll tell you about C. Sometimes D and E. But but you you can't move too fast. You've got to wait. Now, see, Jesus did not operate as God when he walked the earth. He operated as a man. He didn't walk in, in the omniscience of God. He didn't know everything. That's, sometimes people have a problem with that. It didn't mean he ceased to be God, but Philippians says he emptied himself. 
And he laid aside his abilities as God and became a man just like us. Operate. Well, how did he know all he knew? By the Holy Ghost. But apparently when they put the pressure in the question like that, he didn't, he didn't have it instantly. So he kneels down, starts writing, and just waits on God. And they're standing around going, all right, preacher, what about it? Stoner or not? He doesn't even answer them. He just... I don't know how long this went on, but apparently a little while. Then finally he, he got it. He's got it from the Holy Ghost. I imagine it made him smile. It made me smile. You think, yeah. God, you're so smart. He looked up and he said, Whoever's without sin among you, go ahead and throw the first rock. Man, that's straight from the throne. That's the wisdom of God, isn't it? You can't think up stuff like that out of your head. You can ask all your friends <laughs> with their degrees, and they can't put them together, and they can't come up with nothing like this. And then he just, he just left it with them, stooped back down, started writing. And the Bible, they, 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 you know, stood there and thought about that. One by one, they dropped their rocks and walked away. Starting with the oldest one. They lived the longest, made the most mistakes. <laughs> and all of them eventually walked away. Now listen, here's what I'm getting to. Verse 9, the end of it. They, they all left being convicted by their own conscience. They went out one by one. Beginning at the eldest, even to the last, Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and he saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned you? She said, No man, Lord. After all that, nobody condemned her. And I'm sure she's wondering what he's going to say. And he looked at her and he said, uh, neither do I condemn you. Glory. Neither do I condemn you. If anybody would have had a right to, anybody that was above sin, had not lived to sin, had not yielded to sin, it would have been him. He said, none of these people condemned you. They all left. She said, no, Nobody. He said, I don't condemn you either. Just go and sin no more. He didn't say she hadn't sinned. He didn't say it was all right. But he said, no condemnation. Just don't do it again. Oh, friend, did you hear the words of Jesus this morning? Did he want her to feel bad over what she had done? Hmm? Did he want her to pay for what she had done? Did he want to rake her over the coals a little bit? Hang her out for a while? Let her suffer just so that she see just how ugly she had been? Because she obviously does not realize how sacred her body is and how holy God is and how bad she has messed up.
I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit here, but the moment you get into trying to make anybody feel bad for anything they have done, you have left the ministry of the Holy Ghost. And you are now being used of the enemy to minister condemnation. God's not in it. This woman messed up. Adultery. So I guess she's got a husband. And whoever she was with had a wife. Maybe they had kids. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against your spouse. It's a sin against your kids. And your whole family and your relatives. The Bible says it's a sin against your own body. It's a grievous sin. And the reason God's against it. Because it hurts people so bad. People wind up getting divorced and kids don't have a, a home and they don't have a proper mom or proper dad. God's not against sin because it messes up your fun. He's against it because it destroys, it hurts people, it kills. Oh, there might be some pleasure for a few minutes, but afterwards, the death and destruction goes on and on and on. And the condemnation. The guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, the sense of inferiority. Now, you know, no doubt not only were they condemning her that drug her in there, but she's condemning herself. She probably felt like, I deserve anything they dish out. I've been sorry. I've been unfaithful, disloyal, a liar, betrayed confidence. But Jesus looks at her. Oh, are you listening this morning, friend? Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he said then, he's saying today. He's no respecter of persons. What he said to her, he's saying to you. He said, I don't condemn you either. I don't condemn you either. And if he doesn't condemn you, you're not condemned. Go and sin no more. Look in Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans chapter 8, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Let those words just be etched in your heart and mind this morning. Romans the 8th chapter, just the first verse here. There is therefore now no condemnation. To them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Read it out loud with me, that whole verse, out loud. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. How much condemnation? Are you in Christ this morning? Then how much condemnation are you supposed to have? None. Not even a little bit? None. There is therefore no. Zero. None. What is condemnation? Condemnation is a sense of guilt. Basically. I mean that's probably the simplest way to say it. If you're in condemnation, you feel guilty. And, of course, if you feel guilty, then you feel like you deserve to be punished. You're deserving 
of bad things. Punishment. And even though we have heard things about righteousness, we have heard that we're not supposed to be condemned, most Christians are living in some degree of condemnation. I know it from dealing with people year after year and in my own self. And it is one of the worst things that can exist in your life because it robs you of your peace. It robs you of your fellowship. It robs you of your faith. It robs you of your boldness to use the name of Jesus. It incapacitates you. And the devil knows this. And that's why he's always messing with you, trying to tempt you, trying to get you into some kind of sin. And of course, it doesn't have to be adultery. It doesn't have to be robbing a bank. Basically, just disobeying God is sin. To him that knows to do good and does it not, it's sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So, it's anything that the enemy can get you to do that you feel like you shouldn't be doing. Or get you to not do that you know you should be doing. Anything. And he, it's not that he just, you know, when you, when you miss it, that he jumps up and down and goes, oh, goody, 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 I got him to sin. That, he doesn't care about that because he don't care about you. It's not it at all. You know what he is after? He's after your faith. Because I don't care how much grace you got on your life. I don't care how much anointing is on you. I don't care how much revelation you've got. If you don't have enough faith to act on it. Enough faith to step out in it. There's not going to be any manifestation of it. And the devil knows that the best faith killer around is condemnation. I've seen people. I'm thinking of a minister right now. He messed up. In the same area that we're reading about here this morning, adultery. And uh, he, you know, of course, they had some problems in the church, arose about it, of course, and, and he finally had to quit, and he just went into a secular job. I saw him years later, and I asked him, I said, you know, are, are you preaching anywhere or anything? No, no. He was doing some secular job, and. And he's, you know, just, just acted beat down like he didn't even want to be around me and talk to me. And uh, I said, well, now, brother, I said, you do know that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God didn't change his mind just because you messed up. He said, yeah, but, you know, I don't, I don't know what the people think. I said, well, probably they don't think what you think they think. I said, but even if they do, if you had to go across the country and start over, if you had to go across the world, whatever you got to do, you need to obey God. You need to accept your forgiveness and cleansing. Amen. 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 And then step out in what God's called you and anointed you and graced you and gifted you to do. But you, you can't have this sense of guilt and shame on you and obey God and do anything for God. I mean, what if I came in here this morning and I come dragging up to the pulpit and I said, well, I wish somebody else was up here this morning because I just, you know, I don't know much and I've made so many mistakes and I've just messed up and failed in so many ways. I know any one of y'all could probably come up here and do a better job. (laughs) 
I just, yeah, you talk that way enough, think that way enough, you'll just run out the door. What's happening as you dwell on these things, your confidence is being eroded. Your boldness, your strength is just going out to drain. And the devil knows this. That's why when the anointing came on Jesus, you know, when he was baptized in the River Jordan, he came up out of the water and the Holy Ghost came on him. Immediately he, went, he was driven out into the wilderness where he was what? Tempted of the devil for these 40 days and nights. Well, why? I asked the question years ago. I said, why now? He was the son of God when he was five, when he was 10, when he was 15. When he was 18, when he was going through the teen years, right? Why didn't the devil tempt him like that then? I'm sure he probably tempted him, but I'm talking about this kind of concentrated tempter. Why wait till now? Why not when he was 21 or 25 or 28? I tell you why. Because it wasn't until now that all this anointing came on him. And the devil is afraid of anointing. Why? Well, you know why. Because he's in the yoke building business. He's in the burden installing business. Isn't he? And sometimes it might take him 20 years to get a good strong yoke on somebody. It might take him 15 years to get a big heavy burden real firmly placed on somebody. And the anointing can destroy it like that. He's afraid of anointing. You remember when he came out, uh, out out of the wilderness with this anointing? We walked into the synagogue, began to speak. The demons cried out. Ah! They were scared. Man, it bothers them. So many times when the anointing is manifest strong enough, you don't have to cast out anything or say anything. They hit the door. They just don't like being around the manifest power of God. But why did the enemy tempt him? Because he wanted him. Of course, first of all, if he had sinned, it would have messed up the whole plan of redemption. He wouldn't have been our perfect sacrifice and substitute. But that aside, that was the most important thing. But that aside, why? Because he wanted him in some kind of condemnation. Because if he had had some guilt in his life and some shame and sense of inferiority, he wouldn't have stepped out in faith with all that anointing. And there would have been no manifestation of that anointing. And that's what the enemy was after. If we're going to do what God has called us to do, if we're going to be what we're supposed to be, we must be condemnation free. We've got to get rid of all of it. No vestiges of it can be left. The provision's been made, but the problem is, for centuries, sin has been preached in the church. Hmm? Sin. So many times Christians have been preached to at like they were sinners. And people just confess, well, we're just old sinners saved by grace. And there is this consciousness of sin that is pounded in from the pulpit. You're sorry, rascals. You might be saved, but you're a poor pitiful excuse of a Christian. Can't do anything right. And if all you do is go around half the time thinking, I'm a sad case. What's wrong with me? 
It ain't much to me. The devil goes, that's right. It's less to you than you think. You go, I know it. He goes, and if you do that, he's going to jump on you. And if you're hitting yourself over the head and go, man, I messed up. And I've messed up so many times over the years. And, and I just ain't half what I ought to be. The devil says, here, that hammer ain't big enough. Here, take this hammer. <laughs> He'll put a sledgehammer in there. And between you and him, you'll be beat to where ain't nothing left. I mean, it's not, you won't have enough faith, enough confidence, enough joy to get out of bed in the morning. Condemnation. Being guilty. Feeling ashamed. Being embarrassed. You can tell, I mean, do you understand I'm not talking to two people in the place this morning? This is a huge thing. You can talk to people. You can look in their eyes. You can listen to the tone of their voice. And, and, and there's just so many people, they are so insecure. Sometimes they try to make up for it by going overboard in some other way, but they're insecure. They don't have confidence. And they might even argue with you and fuss about it, but late at night when it's nobody but them in the bed, they feel like a low-down sorry rascal. Poor pitiful excuse for a Christian. And they agree with the accuser of the brethren. The, the perfect picture of condemnation is Adam and Eve. They walked with God. They talked with God. They communed with God. But when they sinned, everything changed. Apparently, they felt totally comfortable in the presence of God. They had no sense of shame, no sense of embarrassment. But when they sinned, what happened? They got afraid. They ran, hid themselves. Is that right? And were self-conscious and said, we're naked. God said, who told you you were naked? I didn't tell you you were naked. Did you do what I told you not to do? And that was the whole problem. This Let me say it like this. Sin consciousness will cause you to pull back and fear. But righteousness consciousness will cause you to be bold and draw near. So you can tell people if they're pulling back, we're just going to come in real late and park on the back. Slip in where nobody can see and sit on the way far back, kind of scrunch down. Sometimes people not only do that uh, naturally, but they're doing that spiritually. Peter's a good example of this. When Jesus, you know, said, I want to borrow your boat to preach in. And he he stood in the boat and preached to the crowds. When he got through, he said, "Uh, let's launch this boat out for a catch of fish. Peter said, man, we've been fishing all night. Didn't catch anything. But at your word, we'll do it. Smart man. They launched out. He said, cast the nets, and they did. And they caught so many fish, the nets broke. You know, God is a too much God. You know, you would think God would know not to break the net. 
<laughs> but it just can't help itself. You think God would know when the cup is full. But he just can't help himself. He's going to run the cup over. <laughs> He's going to break the net. It ain't his fault your net ain't strong enough. <laughs> you get ready to receive from God, you better get your strong net. And so they called and they said, he said, he waved to the guys on, on the bank and said, you know, motion to them, get your boats, come out here. So they, they brought the other boats out here and man, they caught fish until the Bible says the boats began to sink. <laughs> Do you think God would know? Don't sink the boats, God. He said, hey, ain't my fault you got such a small boat. We got a net breaking, ship sinking, cup running over, too much God. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Now, now you may think that, you know, this, you might think that people that know something about prosperity, that this wouldn't be as big of a deal. But oh, listen to this. Listen to this. You got the nets breaking. You got the ships Sinking with too much. Just prosperity. This is abundance. And you know, in the middle of this, what Peter does, what he says, what did he say? He said, Lord, you got to get away from me. <laughs> Didn't he say that? What man in his right mind would say so? I mean, these men are fishermen. They own Peter and John Fishing Company. They supply the local restaurants and the fish markets. And this is money. These things flopping around. This is money in the bank. They got more fish than they know what to do with. This is their business is going the best it's done in so long. And in the middle of this, Peter says, what? Lord, you got to get away. He said he fell down at his knees and said, Lord, you got to get away from me. Because I am a sinful man. You can begin to get a revelation of this great prosperity that God has for us. You can begin to get a revelation of, of, of healing and so many things. But if you don't get over this, you, you run God off. Or try to. Have you ever noticed that people, when they get really messed up, they try to, they're mean and they try to run off the people that care about them the most. Hmm? Why? What's wrong with them? Don't they have enough sense to know, dear me? This is one of the best friends you got in the world. What are you doing? No, it's because of condemnation. What they're doing, they're feeling like, I ain't even worthy of such a friend. They don't need to mess with me. I'm too sorry. Condemnation is one of the worst enemies you'll ever have. But you do not have to live in it. I said you do not have to live in it. Go with me if you would to the book of John, the third chapter. 
Hallelujah. Find two places. Go to John 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. We've got too much material up here this morning. We can't have a seminar all in one day. But you're believing with me, right? Just exactly what we need. John 3, are you there? Now there are three major reasons that I have seen as to why people live in condemnation. And as the Lord would help us, we'll endeavor to give you at least an introduction to these. The first one is simply disbelief. Not believing. You know, people in the world that are not saved, they are in condemnation. Even though they try to act like they're not, or they try to act like I'm a self-made man, and, you know, I'm not ashamed of anything, it's a lie. They are. I said they are. They're ashamed. People, you know, they, they, you can sin until you dull yourself to your conscience doesn't bother you like it used to. But when you get quiet and it's just you alone, it's there. That, that guiltiness. In John 3, though, notice. John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. How many believe that? Is God in the condemning business? Are you sure? I thought sometimes the Holy Ghost would condemn people of their sin. You ever heard people say, come out of a service, go, whoo, man. Well, the Holy Ghost really condemned me about some stuff. Is that true? Is God in the condemning business or not? Or sometimes he is. The answer is no. Not ever. With anybody. No matter how badly you've messed up. What did Jesus look at this woman caught in adultery and say? I don't condemn you either. Has he changed? Is he condemning anybody here this morning? How about the worst criminal? Is he condemning them? No. He's not. And see, people don't, people don't know this. I had a fellow that was helping me fly a plane a while back. And we just used him for a particular trip. And, and uh, he was smoking and what have you after he got out of the plane. But he was respectful toward the ministry. And he was just, he was apologizing. He said, I'm sorry. He said, this is, you know, I just can't help myself. And I, I could tell, you know, he come to find out his mom was a preacher. You know, God's directing our paths all the time, isn't he? Oh, yeah. And uh, we, we were on the elevator, and I looked at him. I said, you know, there's nobody in hell for smoking. Ain't nobody in hell for drinking. Ain't nobody in hell for adultery or fornication or lesbianism or homosexuality. Ain't nobody in hell for lying. 
Ain't nobody in hell for stealing or cussing. Ain't nobody in hell for murder. Everybody that's there, there because they did not believe on Jesus. Because if you believe on Jesus and receive what he has done, he can cleanse you and deliver you from any habit, from any sin, from any stain. It's not smoking and drinking and adultery and lying and stealing and murder or whatever that sends people to hell. It's unbelief. It's rejecting Jesus. He looked at me like I slapped him. He never heard anything like that before. He said, huh? I said, no. I said, it's all about receiving Jesus or not. How many understand Jesus will accept you? You come to him, he will accept you full of drugs, four cigarettes in your mouth, <laughs> cocaine all over your nose. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Hot, hot goods on you. Yeah. Stolen watch. <laughs> you lied to the ushers when you came in the door. He will accept you. Without you trying to clean yourself up and wash you and make you whole and clean and free. And listen, and at that moment, that person has as much right to stand in the presence of God as Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is Jesus' own righteousness that is given to us. Are you listening now? To say we're not worthy to stand in the presence of God is to say Jesus is not worthy. Because it's His righteousness. Jesus became sin with our sin. He didn't just sympathize with our sin. He didn't just, you know, identify with it in a, in a measure. He became every vile ungodly, disobedient, wicked, twisted, perverted thing. Sometimes people don't want to believe it, but he became it. It came into him. That's why as he hung there on the cross, it became dark. And he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he's become sin. God can't fellowship with sin. Sin has to be judged. Every vile, wicked sin of all mankind from the past to the present to the future was all converged and laid on his sinless, spotless being. We have no idea of the agony he went through. It wasn't just being nailed to the tree as awful as that was. It wasn't just being nailed to the cross that caused him to sweat blood in the garden. It was realizing what was about to happen to him in spirit. And when he died, the Bible tells us he went to the place of suffering. And he paid the penalty there. Why? Because he has become sin. But friend, at the end of the third day, we read Hebrews how that God the Father stood up and said, You are my beloved son. This day I have begotten you and Jesus was born again. The firstborn of many brethren. And I'm telling you, the power of God shook hell. 
shook all the powers of darkness and hell and the enemy could not keep him. He came up out of that place. He went back into his body which was glorified in the tomb. And he eventually ascended up on high into the holy of holies. The purest, cleanest place. Presented his blood and now he is set down at the Father's right hand. He didn't do that for himself. He was already there. He was there before all this. Proving that the vilest sinner could be born again and come right into the presence of God. Did you hear me? If Jesus could come out of hell being made sin with our sin and come into the presence of God, you and I have been made clean to come out of whatever we've been in right into the presence of God. Can you say amen? Amen. And then there is therefore now no condemnation. Keep reading. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He that believes on him is not condemned. Do you believe on him? But he that believes not is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. What causes you to be condemned? Not believing. That's why all the wicked and that's why all sinners haven't been born again. They're condemned. But you've been born again, haven't you? You've believed on him. Then to you there's no condemnation. He that, verse 18, read it out loud, the first phrase. He that believes on him is not condemned. Everybody say, that's me. I am not condemned. Say it again, I am not condemned. Hallelujah. Go with me to Matthew real quickly. I know you got another place, but just for time's sake, we'll not go there right now. Matthew 12. The second reason why so many are condemned is because of deception. First one is disbelief. Second one is what? Deception. And in Matthew 12, you get a real revelation. Verse 37, Matthew 12. We back up and read verse 36. I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. It's not okay to just say anything that crosses your mind. It's not okay to just say sayings that grandma or grandpa used to say. Or just things that you heard from the pulpit. Right? Check everything by the word. And if it's not positive, if it's not life, if it's not good, don't think it or say it. Now that, I, that's a mouthful. How many understand doing that will keep you busy all day long? And listen, if you're not catching yourself, just, you know, if you go for months at a time and never correct yourself on what you say, you're not even trying. You're not developing. You're not making progress. And you're hurting yourself. You're snaring yourself with your words and don't even realize it. If you're growing in this area, there'll be numerous times that you'll catch yourself. You go, oh, 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 whoa, I don't believe that. (laughs) 
That's not the word. Forget that. I, cancel that. This is what I believe. Amen. And some people, you know, we, we ought to be able to help each other a little bit. Now, now watch about correcting another person's confession. People get tired of that real quick. But at the same time, we ought to want to know if we're missing it. Some of my staff and people that are around me, sometimes I'll just ask them, uh, do you believe that? And they'll think about it and go, uh-uh, I don't believe that. And we need to be catching ourselves and correcting ourselves all through the day and through the week. But he goes on to say in verse 37, for by your words you shall be what? Justified. And by your words you shall be condemned. Not the devil's words. Not the people that don't like you that's talking about you. Talking against you. It's whose words? Your words carry more weight in your life than anybody's. In many cases, even more than God's. And you might say, Ooh, how would you say that? Well, simple. If God says that by his stripes you are healed and that with long life he will satisfy you. And you say, yeah, but I know I got cancer and Aunt Mildred didn't make it too long and I don't think I'm going to make it too long. <laughs> Whose words are going to take effect in that? Now, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Accuses us before God all the time, night and day. But it's not that that condemns us. It's whose words? It's only when he can get you to agree with him. Legalities spiritually are happening all the time. And whether you realize it or not... Little imps and demons follow you around with tape recorders and video cameras. And I want you to be warned that anything you say can and will be used against you in the high court of heaven. And you just watch it when a Christian believer, even somebody that knows it. Healing belongs to them. They know prosperity belongs to them. And yet here comes a big need, a big bill or something. And they know, you know, I've sown, I've tithed, I'm a sower. i got a right to claim a big harvest for everything I need to take care of this. And the devil will come. Yeah. Play back what you said last Tuesday. <laughs> and here you say, yourself is saying something ugly. <laughs> to your mama or your husband or your wife or your sister uh, you know just acting like a heathen on the job <laughs> I understand I don't care if heathens are all around about you that don't make it alright for you to act like a heathen and, but now that's not the whole problem he, you know and if, you, if you're watching he'll bring videos too of things you did 20 years ago 20 years ago, and he'll play it for you. And if you're not smart, you'll sit there and watch it in your head. And he'll say, can you believe you did that? You go, I can't believe I did it. Let's back it up and watch it again. And you're sitting there going, man, I can't believe I said that. He said, oh, you said it all right. I got it right here on tape. You back it up. 
Here, listen to it again. Oh, man. And look, look at this. What kind of look is that on your face when you said that? Looks like the devil to me. Man, you acted ugly. What's, what's he wanting to do? You, you're a pitiful excuse for a Christian. You, I don't know why you think you got any right to claim and believe for money. Why you think you got any right to claim and believe for a healing. You've missed it too many times. You don't qualify. You don't deserve it. Are you condemned at this point? Not yet. Because whose words condemn you? Not his. It don't make a difference what he says. He's not your Lord. He's not running your life. But people don't realize it. And they sit there and go, oh, man. He says, I can't believe you did it. He says, I, don't, I can't believe I did it either. You, how many times has God told you about this and you missed it in the same area? What is this? 532 times now? You go, I know it, dear God. I know it, I know it. He's got you. He's got you. You cry and go, oh, dear God, I know I don't deserve a thing. I've been such a pitiful Christian. And he, and he, he looks at the high court of heaven and says, I rest my case. They said it. They said they don't deserve it. And I don't care how much your father loves you. He can't override that. I understand you get in trouble with the law. Whether it's real or not. And they grab you and arrest you and throw you in the cell. But let's say you got the best attorney in the universe. He's never lost a case. Not one. And he, knew, he knows about it and he shows up. And he's, got, he's already thought about all the stuff and he wrote, wrote out a manuscript based on what they say they got and what we know. And he said, now here, you read this manuscript and when you take the stand, this is all you say. I don't care what they pull out. You don't say anything except this. And I'll take care of the rest of it. Well, you get to the courtroom, and here is the prosecuting attorney, the accuser. And he said, isn't it so that on October the 3rd, 1979, you were at such and such place, and you did this dastardly deed? Now, if you're not smart... You'll go, (laughs) yeah, I was there. Yeah, it was me. I'm guilty of sin. I don't care who your lawyer is. You're done. You confess to the crime on the stand. I don't care who your lawyer is. The judge has got no option. But to wrap the gavel and say, guilty as charged. And since you're guilty as charged, you deserve to be punished. 
You sure don't deserve any reward. Oh, but the reality is, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Hallelujah. He is our attorney. He's not condemning us. And in fact, the Father God is the judge. We know the judge. So if you're smart, you'll study the manuscript. And make up your mind. I'm not letting him trip me up. I'm not letting him make me confess anything. This is all I'm saying. And I'm going to let my attorney take care of it. You know, a whole lot of things you just need to tell the devil. Talk to my attorney about it. You just talk to him. My attorney's already taken care of that. You talk to him. But if you're smart and, and, and you believe the word, you'll take the stand. And you'll sit there just as cool. Here comes the prosecuting attorney, the accused of the brother. Weren't you in such and such place? And you go, I'm innocent. Didn't you do such and such thing? You go, I'm innocent. I'm guilty of no sins. None. He goes, say what? Watch this. And he plays the tape of the sin you committed in 79. And when it comes on, it's blank. Washed by the blood. He's frustrated. He gets out the tape player. Well, I know you said this. And he plays it. And it's blank too. Washed by the blood. You just sit there cool. And he goes, you know you did it. You know you said it. And you go... I'm innocent. I'm guilty of no crime. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm washed. You know you deserve to be sick. You know you deserve to be broke. You know you missed it so many. You go, "Uh uh-uh, no. I'm innocent. I deserve to be blessed because of what Jesus has done. Because I'm totally innocent. Totally innocent? Yeah, totally. You know you've missed it. Uh Uh-uh. Innocent. You know you've missed it. You know, uh uh-uh. I checked with God and he couldn't remember anything. So, you know, I just had a memory lapse too. I can't. I don't know what you're talking about. You were there. You said it. You did it. You go, innocent and the accusations will only go so long until that's all he can do and the judge says that's enough now the attorney for the defense so our advocate steps up and says your honor my father 
looking good already. He said, you have heard the accuser and all these unfounded accusations. No evidence. Just accusations. No evidence. No witnesses. No evidence. And you have heard the accused. My brother. Your son. Testify. Come on now. I'm not just making this up. Didn't it say they overcame him. By the blood. And by the word of their testimony. And who is the high priest of our confession? Our testimony? Jesus. He, he uses it for us by your words. You're justified. Or by your words, you're condemned. He says, you have heard the testimony of the accused, my brother, your son, how that he has testified that he is innocent of all charges, clean, and that he has a right, being innocent and clean, to be healed, to be prosperous and rich, to be blessed and used of God. That he's clean by the blood of the Lamb. I, I present for the court's consideration Exhibit A. My blood on the mercy seat. And that blood speaking, the Bible says. And, and they, they, they turn to Exhibit A and the blood says, innocent. Innocent. I present for the court's consideration Exhibit B. The stripes on my back. And with such irrefutable evidence and such perfect counsel and testimony of the accused, I present that all charges be dropped. And that this one be blessed. The father says, innocent. <laughs> <laughs> and so you are and so you deserve to be blessed now I'm not just saying this just to stir you up friend hear these words God hasn't got me down here today just to be visiting though it's nice I'm glad to be with you but let these words sink down in you and the rest of the day and the night and just make a life change that you will not say anything out of your mouth that the devil can use against you to condemn you. You have made mistakes. I have made. That's why Jesus had to come. Pay the price. I, I have, you have done things, said things that we would not want to stand up on the platform here this morning. And have it told on us. And have everybody know it and see it. Me. You. All of sin come short of the glory of God. I've made mistakes. I've done things. Wish I hadn't done. But. But. This morning as I stand before you. Nobody. No demon. 
Nobody from my past. Nobody who might know about any of these things can make me feel bad or make me feel ashamed or make me feel guilty about anything I've ever said or done. Why? Because I have repented and God has heard me and He has forgiven me. He has cleansed me and He's washed me. You're either clean or you're not. You're either righteous or you're not. I refuse to feel bad or guilty or ashamed about any of it. I've read the manuscript. I'm working with my advocate. Amen? So I'm saying I'm clean. I'm innocent. Washed. Righteous. Holy. Pure. That's me. Hallelujah. I've had people come tell me, yeah, but Brother Keith, you just don't understand. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been. Look at you with that kind of look like, man, I've done stuff nobody wants to talk about. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. I said, yeah, and you don't know how powerful the blood is. No, no, no need you standing up trying to talk about it. you got to sin so bad the blood won't cleanse. You don't know how powerful this blood is if you think that way. But when you know, then you know I'm clean. God doesn't remember any of it. I'm free. Now finally, let me give this to you real quickly. Why people are condemned. Why they live in it. Why they stay in it when they don't have to. Number one is disbelief. Number two is deception. See, the devil trick you, deceive you into condemning your own self. Giving up your, your freedom with a bad testimony. Accepting, though he accuses you, don't agree with him. Confess innocence, righteousness. Said all the time, you know, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am clean without sin. Amen. Amen. Thirdly, people are condemned because of disobedience. Disobedience. The scripture says in 1 John 3, 1 John 3, Verse 20, if our heart condemns us, if, if what condemns us? See, not God. God's not condemning us. Hold your place. Go to Romans, 8th chapter. Romans 8, verse 31. Romans 8, 31, are you there? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, and we could say, what difference does it make? Amen. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's a prosperity verse. You know that, don't you? I mean, if, the, if God was going to withhold anything from you, it would have been Jesus. And if he give you Jesus, he'll sure give you a car yeah. or a house. Yeah. You see what I'm talking about? I mean, yeah. what is a car or a house beside a Jesus? Yeah. If he give you Jesus, he'll give you anything. Yeah. 
And he's already done that. Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now, he's asking the question, who's going to accuse God's elect? And the, the next two words are italicized. So that was really not there in the original. That was added. The next phrase just says God that justifies, but, but it's understood that it's a question. So he's saying, who is going to lay something to the charge of God's elect? God that justifies? The answer is what? Ain't no way. God's trying to charge you. If God had wanted you condemned and I condemned, all he'd have had to do is nothing. We'd have been condemned. He's going to great lengths so that we won't be condemned. Who is he that condemns? Christ that died, rather that's risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who's also making intercession for us. Now this intercession, people hear that word and they think prayer. But what I just described to you about our our high priest, our advocate before the high court of heaven, that is legal intercession. He's presenting you, representing you, and presenting your case before the Father. And he does it with your confession. He's the high priest of our confession. Are you getting this now? Man, this is so important. You are getting it. Who's going to charge anything to, to us? Not God. Who's going to condemn us? Not Christ. That's when he goes on to say, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes on with the list and finally says, and all these things were more than conquerors. I just said all that to say this. God is not condemning us. Jesus is not condemning us. The Holy Ghost is not condemning us. Well, then who is it? Then it'd be the devil, other people, ourselves, but not God. So when people say, well, boy, you know, I was in the service and God really condemned me about some things. You know, no, no. Your own God Revealed some things to you maybe. Showed you some truth. And and in the light you see that you came short of it. And your own heart condemned you. Not God. Not the Holy Ghost. In fact I've found even when my own heart's condemning me. The Holy Ghost is there to comfort me. No God is not in any condemning business. Back to 1 John real quickly. If our heart condemns us not, then have we confidence toward God. Our heart. I moved a little bit too quick on that. Are you there? 1 John 3, 20th verse again. If our heart, that's not God, our heart, condemn us, God's greater than our heart and he knows all things. No need in you thinking you're going to hide something from God. I mean, if your heart's bothering you about it, he already knows about it. So just come right on straight to him. Amen. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then have we confidence Toward God. I'm telling you, you get a revelation of righteousness, it's going to do amazing things for your faith. You, you get rid of condemnation, your faith is going to come right up. What you formerly found hard to believe is going to be easy for you to believe. You'll wax bolder and bolder until people just look at you and shake their head. Wonder, what happened to you? You got rid of some condemnation. You got rid of that old guilt and shame. 
Why are people deceived? This third reason, because of disobedience. Now, if you, if you go on with something that's not right, and you know it's not right, you know better, but you're going to do it anyway, then you, there's no escape from the fact that your heart's going to be bothering you about it. God's not condemning you, but your own heart is condemning you. That's why you can't live and practice sin and have strong faith and operate in a thing that you just cannot. It's not going to work. What's the solution for it? 1 John 1, 9. Repent. Admit it. Confess your sin. That means call sin, sin. Don't play with it. Don't go, well, Lord, I don't know. Some folk think this ain't right and some people think it's okay. I don't know. But No, no, no. Fall on your face and say, Lord, this is sin. I've done it. It's wrong. I'm judging it. Because if you judge yourself, you won't get judged. I'm judging it as sin and that I've messed up and I'm asking you to forgive me and cleanse me. And what did he say he would do? He is faithful and just. He has a right to do it and fair to do it when you believe on him like this. To forgive you of all that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if you're really cleansed of all unrighteousness, that means you stand up from that place. As clean and as righteous as Jesus. I know it may sound hard to believe, but it's true. Because it's his righteousness that you're clothed with. He's the glory and the lifter up of your head. You don't go around hanging your head down and dragging your feet and poking your lip out. You stand up, chin up, shoulders back. Come boldly into the presence in the throne room of God. Why? Because you've got a right to be there. You're clean. You're innocent. You know, if you've missed it numerous times in the same area, after a while, you just don't even want to talk to God about it. You've done the same. You messed up in the same thing. How many times? You don't even want to know. And people get to where they don't even want to repent over it. I had made, made a particular mistake. Now, I don't mean I was sleeping around or robbing banks, nothing. But, you know, if you know better, it's, it's sin to you. And so I came to the Lord for the 39th time or whatever about this thing. And I'm thinking, Lord, you know, I know. I messed up again on this. I'm sorry. Sorry I hadn't got it straightened out by now. He said, son, how many times we're talking about here? I thought, I ain't got no idea. He said, didn't I tell you that your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more? He said, as far as I'm concerned, we're just dealing with one thing here. What do you keep bringing these things up for? Is it true? That he does not remember them? Go with me to Isaiah and we'll close with this. Isaiah. You know, the, the principal way you could disobey under the new covenant is to not walk in love. And there's a whole thing I don't have time to get into really, but what the Bible says, if you judge, what will happen? Judging is a failure to walk in love. And if you judge or you condemn, you will be judged and condemned. So if you're going to walk free from condemnation, you've got to believe 
going to let, not let the devil trip you up and get you to confess things you shouldn't out of your own mouth, condemn yourself, but you've also got to not condemn other people. Amen. Let me go through this, just give you an example to help you see what happens. Have you ever had an intense discussion with somebody? A fight. You know, parent, sibling, brother, sister, spouse. You don't have to raise your hand, but do you know what I'm talking about? You, you might want to call it something else, but, you know, things kind of got out of hand. Things were said that shouldn't have been said. Have you ever noticed that if somebody, they do you wrong, or at least you think they did, and so many times the thoughts and the feelings come you want, you know, you want them to realize how they've hurt you. And especially if they come back and just go, you know, I'm sorry about that. And that like it didn't even bother them, you know. And they just, you know, friends again, great. I got to go. And, you're, and the thoughts and feelings will come to you. Uh-uh. No, no, you don't treat me like you treated me. And they come in here and I'm sorry and everything's okay. You need to see what you have done. I mean, you hurt me. And you hurt me bad. And I mean, you, you let the devil use you. Such words came out of your mouth. And they hurt me so bad. And and as you get into you get into discussions with somebody, have you found that memories will come back of things they said and did five, ten, fifty years ago? Same thing you were doing back in thirty-five, woman. You ain't changed a bit. And have you found that at times like that? I mean, you don't, you don't want for words. I mean, things just come to you. I mean, memories and words, it's like you're inspired. And you are. And it ain't God. Because God wouldn't be trying to condemn anybody. Did Jesus look at this woman laying there, half-dressed, if that much, and go, you know, do you know what you have done? I mean, sure, you saw him cross away and thought, whoo, he's good looking. Somebody that pay you some attention and, and flatter you, and you just jump in bed with them. And all these, what, what about your vows that you made at the altar what about you? Your baby's at home. You know what a sorry heifer they have for a mama. <laughs> you don't even know where your babies are at. What about your man? You have thought about how it's going to hurt him? What this is going to put him through? Did Jesus say any of that? Should we say any of that? Are y'all listening now? I'm telling you, God is talking this morning. Because the church 
world has not taught this. I know I was, before we started flying private, I was flying on a, a jet and uh, happened to be by myself that time and we up in first class and there was a man beside me. And man, he was just knocking down the drinks one after another, man. I mean, he was laying them back. And about halfway through the flight, he leans over, he goes, you know, hi, my name's so-and-so. Hey, what's your name? I told him. He said, what do you do? <laughs> he's been cussing. He's been, you know, just being a sinner. I told him. He said, oh. And I mean, he totally changed. He, he kind of pushed that drink back a little bit. And he said, <laughs> and he said uh, well, he said, you know, my mama's a Christian. And he, said, <laughs> he started talking about And I could just tell as he went on further, he's feeling so condemned, so condemned. And, you know... I'm not God. He ought to be more interested about God than me. But that's where people are at. And he said, you know, I know better than to be drinking like this. I mean, he brought it up. He's And talking like using this bad language. I, I know better than that. And I could tell he paused. He was waiting for me to jump on it and go, yeah, you know you know better. You just got through saying your mama brought you up better than this. Sitting up in here using the Lord's name in vain kind of man are you? And he'd have, he'd have accepted it and just went, yeah. But that is not God. But that's what preachers have done. That's what Christians have done. That's what people have done with their family. Sometimes lost loved ones, then they know that they're messed up and, and they know they need help. But every time they get around there, I started to say you, but every time they get around... <laughs> Maybe it's not you. But every time they get around certain of their saved kin folks, all they get is condemnation. Yeah, that's it. You know what you put mom and daddy through? You know better than this. You know you know better than this. Is God inspiring people to do that? No. Did he say anything to that woman? No. Did he say one thing to her about her feeling bad or feeling ashamed or feeling guilty? No, he did not. He just said, I don't condemn you either. Just don't do it again. If that's what he did, that's what you should do. That's what I should do. The moment we get in to trying to make somebody feel bad about what they have done, or we try to get into, I just want you to really see now what you have done. You're being used of the enemy. That's when you get inspired and you say all these things. And people, they'll just condemn and they'll receive it. Either that or they'll rebel against it and, and, and try to go the other way. Either one's wrong and, and people wind up further away from God than they were. That's right. Have you found Isaiah yet? Isaiah fifty four seventeen. This should mean more to you now. No weapon. That's formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against you, how? Trying to judge you, you shall condemn. Next time the enemy tries to bring thoughts of these kind of things to you and judge you, you just say, I'm innocent. 
you're condemned. Turn it around on him. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. Do you hear that phrase? Do you hear how that sounds? Who's talking here? And that God is talking, and God, there is a don't mess with me implied in this. Can you hear it? Who, who's saying it? God is saying it. God is saying, listen to me. There's not any weapon that's going to be formed against you that's going to be effective and prosper. And every mouth that would open against you trying to judge you, you'll condemn. And your righteousness, and he, he didn't just say it like that. He says it, he would have said it like that if he said it just to us. He must be saying it to those that oppose us as well. Their righteousness is of me. So shut up. You're not going to judge them. You're not going to condemn them. They're clean. How can they be clean? Of me. It's my righteousness. I gave it to them. And if I say they're righteous, then they are righteous. Isaiah 32 and 17. And the work of righteousness will be peace, Isaiah thirty-two seventeen, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. As this righteousness dawns in your consciousness and finds expression through your mouth and through your actions, its work is going to be peace. That anxiety, that frustration from all those bad memories. Do you hear me? You have no past this morning. You have no past. You have no past. There ain't nobody that's more saved than you are. No one has a greater right to the access and throne of God than you do. Nobody is more righteous than you are. Why? Because it's all given to us by faith in the work of the cross of Jesus. Said out loud, peace, peace. Quietness. quietness, assurance forever, assurance forever. Is, mine. is mine through the righteousness, through the righteousness of, God. of God. He was made sin, was made sin. With, my sin. with my sin, and I have been made righteous. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.